Our first uh, scripture reading is from the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, what is known in theological parlance as the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any, from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you, eaten, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me and I ate. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. How many of you have ever been uh, sick or in the hospital or had a moment of deep grief? Raise your hand. Now, I don't know if this is your experience, but why is it for people who have been sick or are sick or in the hospital or in deep grief that sometimes Christians are the last people that you want to have come? Why is that? I think it's because sometimes Christians have the need to sprinkle rose petals on what I would call the jagged edges of life. There is this uh, temptation to minimize the pain that the other person is experiencing. Why? Because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we either want to quickly change the subject or we dust off some of our theological thinking because what we believe that person most needs in that moment answers they need answers for example there are some i'm sure they're well-intentioned christians who will try to smooth everything over with bible verses just so we're clear i am not against god's word speaking to us out of the crises of life but sometimes it's just not the right time or the right verse for example, there are some Christians who will say to a mother with a sick child, well, uh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love God. Or, or don't forget uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy when you face various trials. Or if you're someone who has cancer, you might hear someone say, hey, I know that God heals. If you have enough faith in God, God will heal you too. 
To which we think, oh great, that means if I die, I was some hopelessly lost sinner who had an extremely shallow faith. Well, Today, I'm, I'm bringing down the curtain on my summer sermon series that I called The Bible You Thought You Knew. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed sharing it with you. And today we're looking at a phrase that some well-intentioned Christians will usually share with someone who's going through a hard time. It's the phrase, God never gives you more than you can handle. Where is that found in the Bible? Turns out it's not in the Bible. Although I think this statement more than any of the other statements that I've preached on can kind of be inferred in God's word. Now, the Bible talks about two different kinds of testing. One is called trials, and the other is called temptations. The Greek word is periasmos, and it's sometimes translated trials, and sometimes it's translated temptation. So it's the same word, and sometimes it's used interchangeably. God does allow trials. God does allow temptations, but never with any kind of evil intent. Instead, they're meant to help us grow and to deepen our maturity of faith. Remember, at the beginning, Job was tested, but with God's permission. Jesus was tempted by Satan over his 40 days in the wilderness. And then later on, Jesus was tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane to cave in as he faced the horror of the cross. And you remember what he said, Oh, Father, let this cup pass from me. But we can't stop there. Not my will, but thy will be done well the book of james has some very practical things to tell us about trials and temptations and how to handle them as they invariably come our way and so i invite you to join me as i read from james chapter 1 verses 12 through 18 you can find the words printed in your bulletin to also be on the screen james chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. james says this Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive that which you would want us to hear and embrace this morning. May we be challenged by your word. May we be changed by it. And then may you send us forth to proclaim your word in deed and in from our lips. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
There's a TV show out there, on, I think on one of the cable channels. I've never seen it because it's called Temptation Island. It is about four unmarried couples who travel together some remote island to, quote, test their devotion to one another and answer the ultimate question, have I found the one? Or is there someone better out there for me? Well, as these uh, couples arrive on the island, they are immediately separated and put on opposite ends of the island where the four men will live with 13 women and the four women will live and reside with 13 men. And you can just use your imagination and play out the various scenarios that uh, will occur on this TV show. The last episode is essentially these couples sharing their experiences and then deciding whether or not to stay together. Well, early on in the Garden of Eden, it bore no resemblance to Temptation Island. Everything is perfect as Adam and Eve are at peace with themselves, in love with each other, and in harmony with God. No wonder God saw everything that he made and said, behold, it is very good. But then it all came apart. And so subtly, we're told now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. This snake didn't have a tail that rattled. And maybe that should be a lesson for us all. You see, Satan does not come knocking on the soul of our lives and say, excuse me, do you have a minute? I'd like to ruin your life. Said the snake sort of slithers up alongside of Eve and with an oily voice says, hey, Eve, let's have a Sunday school class. Let's, let's talk a little bit of theology. I was just wondering, did God say you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Right away, if you're listening, the serpent twists the words to say what God did not say. God did not say you can't from, eat from any of the trees in the garden. You can eat from all of the trees of the garden except that one right there in the middle. We need to be careful as we read the word of God in church because just like a minor mix, uh, miscalculation in the calibration of a, of a NASA uh, space launch will send a rocket thousands of miles off course, a minor misreading of God's word will send people way off target. So Eve kind of feels the need to stand up for God. She says, ah, oh, Mr. Serpent, sir, uh, we can eat of all the trees here except that one right over there. That one is zone no eating. And so we have our first zoning ordinance in the Bible. There's eating zones and there's no eating zones. But here's a question for you and me. What in the world is Eve doing taking on the serpent without Adam? Or without God? Remember, God had said it's not good for people to be alone in life, and I think this is exactly the kind of situation that God had in mind. As we face temptations on a regular basis, you and I need one another. One of my favorite quotes was from an old uh, Sunday school teacher who said, just remember, Johnny, the banana that gets separated from the bunch always gets skinned. <laughs> we need the church of Jesus Christ. We need flesh and blood Christians to, to lovingly help us and guide us along life's way, to tell us the truth when we've gone astray, to, to give us words that we need to hear even when they may be really hard to hear. We need Christian brothers and sisters to show us the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Well, the dialogue continues as the serpent says, Eve, God knows you're just going to enjoy eating that fruit. In fact, God knows if you eat it, you'll be as wise as him. That's why God made it a no-no. It's your life, Eve. Do what you want with it. Take control. The serpent says, you'll be like God. And Eve thinks, that sure sounds good to me. Friends, it is not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to cave into that temptation. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther said, we cannot keep the birds from flying over our heads, but we can keep them from making, making a nest in our hair. So we don't live in a, a temptation-free world, do we? It's not, not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin when we begin to dwell and obsess on that temptation and think about it so much that eventually it begins to take root in our hearts and in our lives. And that's why James encourages us, saying, blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a prize. There is a reward for resisting temptation. And so when we learn how to say no to temptation, there is a crown of life. In the Greek, it literally means life itself. James says when you understand temptation, when you learn to say no to it, then that's when you really begin to live. Your, your crown of faith is an abundant life in the Lord. We need a crown of faith. We need a, a crown of faith like Job had as he sat on his ash heap after all the calamity came upon him. We need a crown of faith like Mary when she discovered that she was pregnant with the Messiah. We need a crown of faith like that of the Apostle Paul as he prayed for relief from the thorn in his flesh. We need the kind of crown of faith that was sketched on the wall in Germany of, in a concentration camp that said, uh, I believe in the sun even when it isn't shining. I believe in love even when not feeling it. I believe in God even when he is silent. Well, for Adam and Eve, there was no crown because God had told them, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And James affirms this when he writes, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So desire leads to deception, deception leads to disobedience, and then disobedience leads to death. Do you know how Eskimos kill wolves? It's rather gruesome, so brace yourself. But I hope it's going to make the point about the self-destructive nature of sin. An Eskimo hunter will take a knife, cover the blade with animal uh, blood, and then freeze it so that entire blade is caked over with animal blood. And then that Eskimo will take that knife and bury it in the snow with the blade pointing up. And when that wolf smells the blood, it will come over and begin to lick it, but not notice that as he licks the blade, he is slashing his tongue over and over again. And that as the wolf drinks that animal's blood, he doesn't notice that he's also drinking his own blood. And usually the Eskimo will find that wolf the next day dead in the snow. Okay, you can all give me a yuck. <laughs> what a picture, though, of the self-destructive nature of sin, which leads to death. So, who is to blame? God finds Adam and Eve hiding and says, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the only sound that's heard is the beep, beep, beep of Adam backing over Eve. 
the woman, the one you gave to me, you know what? The one whose idea was yours in the first place. She gave me something. I just took a nibble. <laughs> Thus was born the blame game, which ever since the fall has become everyone's favorite indoor sport. Will Rogers said you can summarize American history into two great movements, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. <laughs> we, we live in a, in a time when people refuse to accept responsibility for their actions. Remember the comic, Flip Wilson had that stock line, the devil made me do it. And so we point the finger elsewhere except at ourselves, blame society. Blame the government, blame your parents, blame your spouse, blame the pastor, blame the church people, even blame God. And so some people say, oh, it must have been God's will or, or God wouldn't have let that happen. But James kind of corrects that perception in verse 13. No one, he says, when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. I'll say it again, friends, God does allow some trials, but it is never for God's evil intent in our lives. And as painful as those trials may have been, as painful as those temptations may have been, none of them were wasted. Remember when David's getting ready to square off against Goliath in the Valley of Elah? The only sound that could be heard was the knocking knees and the chattering teeth of the army of Israel. They were so terrified of that giant. Everyone was terrified of that giant, except a little lad named David. And David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Don't look now, but the NFL season is right upon us. And David could have played in the NFL. Think about it. He, defe he defeated the bears, the lions, and the giants. And of course, he would have played for the Saints. <laughs> now, what's interesting to me is that if you look at the story of David, there's no mention anywhere of him ever fighting a bear or a lion. Those were sort of secret struggles in his past in which he had no idea what God was up to and how God was preparing him for the future. The same way, none of our struggles, none of our trials are ever wasted or without purpose. So as I close, the good news for us is in combating temptation, it can be found in the goodness of God. Listen to what uh, Paul says, and you want to put this in your mind or jot this down. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Listen to what it says. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... God will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Wow, what a great promise. Think about that. God never puts more on us than what God puts in us to bear up to it. You say, oh, John, it was too strong a temptation. I just couldn't help myself. God says, not true. You were just depending upon yourself. Rather, rather than depending upon me. So God will make a way out if you trust him. 
There's hope for you and me if we let Jesus Christ change us from the inside out. But that means we have to refocus our thoughts and we have to refocus our energies and, and, and the things that we're sort of thinking about in our minds. You, you cannot pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation if we're sort of flirting with temptation. Can't do that. So that means we need to shift our attention elsewhere. I'll close with these words from great Christian writer C.S. Lewis. He said, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only human who never yielded to temptation, is also the only human who knows to the full what temptation means. C.S. Lewis says Christ was the only complete realist. So friends, let us focus our hearts and minds on the goodness of God who gives to those who resist temptation and endure trials a reward, the best reward, a crown of life. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, sometimes it feels uncomfortable to give you a status report on our temptations, our places of flirtation, of playing with fire, of compromising and caving in, places where people around us are being hurt by the selfishness of our hearts, places where we've been snookered by the lies of the evil one. And so Lord God, I pray for any here today still hiding behind the bushes because they're struggling with shame or guilt or embarrassment. Help us instead, all of us, to bask in the free, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Keep us strong. Keep us humble. Keep us faithful. And God, be merciful to all of us sinners. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.